Well, friends, if we haven't met yet, my name is Adam, and we're starting a new sermon series called Living Legacy. And as I, as I thought about the, this concept of a legacy, I thought about a teacher I had in middle school. I started playing guitar in the eighth grade, and I had an intro to guitar class as a part of that. It ended up being amazing. And my teacher's name was Mr. Pausch. Uh, in eighth grade, it was, a, it was a big time uh, for, for, you know, every, I, t- I was a youth pastor for a long time. I tell students, if you can survive middle school, you can do anything, right? Uh, so it was, a, it was a really crucial year. That year, I found out that I was terrible at baseball. Uh, I didn't get a single hit my eighth grade year. It was pretty rough. Uh, but through Mr. Pausch, I was able to discover, well, maybe I had some musical ability. And, and the seeds he planted by showing me proper guitar technique and, and, and how to practice, how to be a musician, and the passion that he conveyed in our intro to guitar class, it really did change the course of my life. It, it gave me belonging and meeting in high school when I was, when I was a part of these bands. Uh, maybe someday for a fundraiser here at church, I'll reveal the names of those bands, which are more, morbidly embarrassing now. Uh, it, it, it affected my life as I chose what, where to attend college because I wanted to help lead worship as, as a part of my, my college experience. And through Mr. Pouch teaching me guitar, it helped introduce me to my eventual wife because she and I met at a show my band was playing at. Now, I started playing guitar in eighth grade to impress girls, and it only took 12 years, right? <laughs> so it took a little while. Uh, but man, I would give a lot to speak with Mr. Pouch. I, I, would, I would give a lot to be able to thank him for, for how he affected my life in ways he never would have guessed. I've tried to Facebook stalk him, but with no success, so uh, I'll keep trying. I wish I could find him and tell him he changed the course of my life. In, in the musical Hamilton, there's a great line uh, that, that the lead character says, the protagonist, Alexander Hamilton. He says, legacy, what is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. That's what Mr. Pouch did for me. And I think this concept of planting seeds in a garden you'll never get to see is also a great description of ministry. In September, my daughter Betsy attended our first kids kickoff event here out in the parking lot. And as a part of that event, she, she was given a, a, a book and it was called uh, My First Rhyming Bible. And she was really excited. So not long too after that, uh, I sat down with her and, and was going to read a little bit and said, why don't you go get you a book? And she went off to her room and came back with that rhyming Bible. And she said, and you're gonna, you guys are going to think I'm making this up or like total pastor kid story. Okay. But she said, well, I want to read the book about Jesus. Ah! Those seeds were planted in our parking lot. I saw a post from my friend Debbie the other day who leads our Love Haiti Project. And here's what she said about the amazing ministry that our partnership between our church and our friends in Haiti has led to. She said, this is Amelia and Carlicia. They're the same age, both born in 2008. Amelia attends my church in Kearney, Missouri. Carlicia is one of Love Haiti's scholarship recipients. For eight years, I have witnessed Amelia's kind heart as she saves coins in a jar to add to the Love Haiti Fund, which we're going to talk about later, by the way. For eight years, I have followed Carlicia's growth and success in school and received words of gratefulness from her mother. Carlicia would not be attending school without people like Amelia. These two young women have never met, but they impacted each other's lives in profound ways. These are seeds being planted. 
Over and over in the Bible, agricultural imagery is used. This is because the Bible was written in an agricultural time. Uh, Throughout both the Old and New Testament, the word seed is used 302 times. In the New Testament in particular, Jesus uses the imagery of a seed as an image to describe how his good news spreads and takes root and grows. And, And no more so than in a famous scripture that we're gonna read today. This story called the parable of the sower occurs three different times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It occurs one time in three different books. And Matthew and Mark and Luke, those are called the synoptic gospels. Like think of a synonym, right? Because they have a lot of the same material in them that the authors each kind of deliver to their audiences in, in unique ways. And so the version we'll be using this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, one through nine. And we'll start with verses one and two. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. It's good to remember that Jesus drew a crowd, right? I don't know what the first century equivalent of TMZ would have been, but it it would have been around. He he drew uh, a lot of people to himself. People would line up to experience his ministry in person, just to get a glimpse of him or or to to try and, and, and have a conversation with him to hear his teaching live. And so many folks showed up that Jesus routinely had to be strategic about when and where he preached. Now, he's sitting by a lake. I don't know if he was having his, his time with God or what, but soon the throngs of people come and he has to adjust. I've had friends that have been to Israel and, and they've described uh, the scene in, this, uh, in and around the Sea of Galilee. Well, first, if, uh, we got a lot of folks with boats. Uh, some of y'all need to call me more, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, when you go out on a lake, it's amazing how the sound can, can just go forever, Right. And, and, and so the combination of not only sound um, being, oh, what's the word, transmitted by water is, is, is heightened, but there's also, because of the shore along the Sea of Galilee, you get like this natural amphitheater effect. And so Jesus and his disciples knew this. And so all these people want to come here and talk. So he goes out onto the lake and, and utilizes that natural amphitheater that was a feature of his time and place. Then he told them many things in parables, verses three starts, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Matthew tells us that, that Jesus is, is teaching people using the format of a parable, a parable. Biblical scholar Tokenbo Adiyomo puts it really well. He, he helps us understand the definition of a parable. He said, parables give concrete form to abstract truths. They turn truths into images so that the hearers are able to picture them and remember them clearly. So Jesus is using a familiar image of his day to teach people a new truth. In the first century, one method of farming was having a bag of seeds and you just threw them everywhere. And this method was called broadcasting, a word we still use today. And that's what Jesus is describing, just throwing seeds all over the place. And a lot of times when this passage is is read or or preached on, kind of the the takeaway or the, the, the route a lot of folks take is, well, what kind of soil are you? 
Are you like the rocky soil or are you like the soil on the path or are you the good soil? And most people leave Sunday thinking, well, I'm the good soil. Like <laughs> nobody says, oh, I'm the worst soil, you know. Uh, but but uh, we could certainly go that route, right? Like maybe the pandemic has been like the weeds and it's kind of choked out some of your faith during this season. But I wonder if what soil are you is the question Jesus actually intended us to walk away with. Because he describes this more to the disciples. And they say, the disciples say to Jesus in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he, and this, these parentheses are something I added in. Jesus replies, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Them referring to the crowds. So, so Jesus is giving his disciples kind of the, the VIP behind the curtain experience or the interpretation of this parable. And so Jesus goes on to cite a few verses from the Old Testament in his explanation to the disciples about what he meant in this parable. But, and I think there are two angles from which we can view the parable that Jesus talked about, that, that he described to the crowd there on the shore. There's kind of two ways we can look at this, from the perspective of the hearer and the perspective of the sower. Right? Jesus clearly explains the different types of hearers and how they are represented in the places where the seeds fell. That comes right after this story in Matthew 13. But then he explained all this to the disciples whom he was raising up to themselves be able to sow. Right? So that's kind of a different take on this parable. Jesus said in verses 18 through 23 that the kingdom is represented by the seed, that the seed represents anyone who hears the message about the kingdom. So I think the point of the parable was not what type of soil are you, but as he explained it to the disciples, I think the point of the parable is keep sowing. Keep sowing. Don't worry that every, every one of these seeds isn't gonna take, route and, or take root and grow exactly as you would like. Don't get discouraged. Keep sowing. I love how Adiyomo puts it. Jesus' parable emphasizes that proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is like farming. The sower should not be discouraged. For despite wasted seeds and some plants that do not thrive, there will ultimately be a very rich harvest. So to me, as we sit here in, in mid to late October, the question for us is, how is our church going to keep sowing seeds? How do we keep sowing during a pandemic? Our leadership team met for a retreat in September, and, and we, we had a, a great collaboration and, and have out, we emerged having outlined kind of four priorities that help guide the answer to that question. So friends, the methods may change, but the mission remains. We gotta keep sowing. So how are we gonna do that? Throughout the rest of the year, and as we head into 2021, our church will find new ways to gather safely, reach new people, connect in community, and serve others in Jesus' name. So let's, let's go down this list together. I believe, I have a conviction that we honor God when we care for people. Uh, it's hard for someone to become a new disciple if we've made them sick. So we're gonna find new ways to gather safely. 
Now, I recognize that we've got folks kind of all over the spectrum on, on how we want to respond to this virus. So here are some pretty basic facts, which, which I don't consider to be controversial at all. The virus spreads amongst gathered groups of people, sharing the same space, coming in close contact, and through droplets expelled in the air. Uh, this combination makes it pretty tough to do things as we've been accustomed as a church. A church is what we want to do. We want to all get together. We want to all be friendly. We want to give you a little food. We want to give you a little something to drink. And we want to sit in the same room for an hour in close proximity and sing. <laughs> I mean, we're just checking all the terrible. This is the opposite of everything the CDC says is good about avoiding the virus. So we're going to need to find some new ways to gather safely. Some of which you're participating in right now. There are a lot of narratives out there that we're being asked to believe, friends. And one of those is that by not just going back to normal, that we're somehow living in fear. I, I don't know how else to say this. Being a person of faith does not exempt you from being in danger. The coronavirus does not care if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't care if you're Methodist. It doesn't care if you're Presbyterian. It doesn't care if you're whatever. I'm very proud of how our church has adapted, and I'm also very proud of how gracious our church has been. We've been committed to following all of Clay County's guidelines, and we've gone to great lengths to, to do what we've been asked to do by our county officials. Now, this is going to be weird, because if you're in here, you don't need a picture of the room that you're sitting in, okay? But remember, we've got a couple different audiences here. So we've, some folks haven't been in here, they haven't seen that, that we've rearranged our sanctuary to accommodate social distancing. We jokingly and also not jokingly call this the safest room in Kearney. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that fun? <laughs> uh, we've committed to wearing masks whenever we meet. Uh, we've been able to, to worship because of this and we've, we've even had some creative folks still figure out how to have third grade Bible camp. Man, we had 13 kids come to that. I thought I was, I was just thrilled. We're going to celebrate them next week. That's planting seeds. And so we, we can't be planting seeds if we're not doing so safely. We've been able to, to, to retool and figure out how to do Wednesday night impact our student ministry. We've had people continue to meet for prayer and for Bible study, exercise class, and even figured out how to do Monday night football. Oh yeah, we did it tailgate style. You got to bring a blanket now. Now, has, has this been ideal? Well, now I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but here's, here's the tough part about gathering safely is it just takes more work. We can't just do things the way we've been accustomed to. For last year, we would, I would just show up to Nikki's. They'd have tables for us and it was awesome. We could just show up. Well, now it takes a lot more setup and I get a lot less pizza. That's a bad combo. <laughs> but, but it's worth the effort, friends, to figure out how to gather safely. And I'm proud to be a part of a church that's committed to doing that. During this time, our methods are gonna to have to change and we're gonna to have to do things a little bit differently and be innovative as we strive to do ministry safely. Now, as a church, we don't just exist for ourselves. In fact, the, I have a conviction that the church is one of the only organizations on the planet that exists exclusively for those that aren't yet a part of it. Friends, we gotta to continue to reach new people. That's the whole point of the parable of the sower. That's the whole point of broadcasting these seeds, the message of the kingdom of God. 
broadcasting the good news of Jesus, sowing seeds in faith that they will take root and bear fruit. This pandemic has has brought new challenges, but it's also forced us to adapt in, in ways that are bearing fruit. I'll just be honest, it is so weird to go to Price Chopper and have someone say, hey, pastor, and I also see like this much of their face. And I'm a friendly guy generally, so I'll, I'll be nice to anyone in the grocery store. But I've met people who have never set foot in our church, ever, and they've been attending service. I just, it's, it's a crazy phenomenon to me, and I'm glad for it. But if you would ask me a year ago if that would have happened, I, I never would have guessed that. We've had folks participate in a small group experience that might never otherwise have if it weren't online. We continue to need to exist for those that aren't here yet, even as the definition of here is changing. And yet, part of the, like the point of church isn't just to get more people to come to church. Like this ain't the Jesus Ponzi scheme, right? It's, 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 the point of church isn't just to get more people to come to church. We want to set people on a path to deepen their discipleship with Jesus and transform the world. One of the main ways we do this is connecting in community. We've had folks meeting in groups online. We've had folks meeting in person. We've had to get creative on how we do it, but friends, it is so vital. One of the coolest things I get to see every week is Miss Joyce's exercise class. She leads a group of folks on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And they figured out how to do that safely. And these folks meet to strengthen their bodies and their souls and we'd been missing it for a while, and I'm so glad they're, that they're back. That, that sense of belonging, that, that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That we, we need that. I, I think part of what, we've, what we grieve during this pandemic is the lack of opportunities that we've been so accustomed to and just never really quite understood how valuable they were until they're missing. Connecting in community is, is vital. And, and sowing seeds and, 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 and following Jesus' command to spread his good news, it doesn't just mean getting people to come to our stuff or getting them to attend worship. As sowers of the gospel, we need to go where the people are and serve them. That's why one of our priorities has to be serving others. I'm so proud, wow, excuse me, I'm so proud to be part of a church whose identity is so closely tied to outreach. You're gonna be hearing more about that as Christmas approaches. We have continued our support of our local and international ministry partners. The families at Baby Grace receive goodies from generous folks in our congregation. Uh, A year ago, our church made a $10,000 commitment over three years to the Kearney Food Pantry. And and we actually front-loaded all of that this year to help get the food pantry into a permanent home. Our church has been an asset to the community. Just last week, 274 people got tested for COVID for free in our parking lot. And they can't wait to do it again. Now it's cliche that people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But it's a well-known saying because it's true. Part of the good news taking root and bearing fruit in our lives is as the Bible describes in Philippians 2, looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we reach out in hopes that people will find new life with Christ through our church and that maybe experiencing hospitality could be a first step for that. 
In all of these priorities, gathering safely, reaching new people, connecting in community, and serving others, our methods may have to change, but the mission remains the same, sowing seeds in Jesus' name. When we looked at that, the, that list of four priorities, somebody thought, well, that, that could apply to you know, any, any organization. And so we want to do this exclusively in Jesus, or explicitly in Jesus' name so that more and more people would come to discover new life in Christ and that our church could continue to make new disciples for the transformation of the world. Like a broadcasting first century farmer, we're called to sow new seeds anywhere and everywhere. And we're gonna have to figure out some new ways to do that, trusting the results to God. Now friends, we might not be able to predict what's gonna stick, what's gonna take root, and even if it does take root, what's gonna last. In this way, we're sowing seeds in a garden we may never see. This becomes our legacy. I don't think anyone would have ever guessed how much a pandemic would disrupt everything about life. Certainly everything is a church that we do. But make no mistake, friends, our church is alive and well because of the willingness of people to alter their methods in order to reach new people, in order to continue the mission that becomes a living legacy. So next week, we're gonna be looking at how your generosity continues to fuel ministry. But until then, friends, keep sowing. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together, an opportunity we certainly don't take for granted. We ask that you be with everyone who is suffering as a result of this pandemic, folks who are grieving someone they've lost, folks who are currently sick and trying to recover. We thank you for the many who put themselves in harm's way for the sake of others. God, we, we, we pause now in this moment to consider the million things, the untold, uncountable number of things that had to happen for us to wind up where we are this morning. We give thanks for the people that planted seeds of faith in our lives. We're in awe of the ways you work in ways we never would have expected. And God, I'm asking that you would use our church to continue to sow those seeds. That in this period of a pandemic, that we wouldn't be consumed by worry or fear. And that we would be willing to have the faith to keep sowing. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of the process of the restoration of the world. That your plan in many ways, is the church. God, thank you for this faithful congregation. Lead us and guide us as we alter our methods to continue your mission. Amen.